0: Um, Hey guys. So we're going to talk about service this morning uh, and we're going to do that through the lens of we are people who don't have figured all out uh, and what that means. So we've been going through this new series uh, that's called Resonate in Three Parts. So in the beginning of the year we kind of wanted to outline exactly who we are. So we want to kind of like put some like foundation on we're a new church. What does that mean? We're a new voice. What does that mean? And so we wanted to kind of unpack that in three parts. So over the next three months and actually over the next two months, this is the last week of where people what it means to not have it all figured out part one but we're going to go through uh that so this is the last on that and i'll speak more to that in a second and then next month so actually starting this next week which is also super bowl sunday so come to church (laughs) Uh, we're going to talk about what what we do have figured out so we may be people that are humbly walking through this and saying like you know there's wiggle room here and i don't know if i've got all of this but i do know these things so we're going to be talking about grace and redemption, and the cross, and some really cool uh, biblical and theological goodness. And then after that, and what I'm really excited about, this takes us into Easter, we're going to be talking about no matter who you are, or where you've been, or what your story is, you are welcome and loved in this place. And that's a huge part of our DNA. And so I think all of this builds. What we don't have figured out, what we really have figured out, builds into a humble and loving community that whatever your story, or bag, or whatever you're coming in here with, you were really, really loved in this place, and we want to walk with you um, and learn your story. So uh, that's month three. But so on on the beginning of this series, we talked about mystery at first. So that was like the way we kind of started it out. So we're like, there's this huge, vast, mysterious God that we worship, and what does that mean? Like, what does it mean when people are like, oh, praise Jesus, or I follow Jesus? Like, that kind of thing is so big. It's so grand. And so we talked about sort of the grandness and the bigness of God. And then we talked about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, which is a fancy Christian word called disciple. And we kind of retook that word disciple and said, like, it's actually so, so vitally important. Here's what it really means. It means to follow. It means, The word disciple literally means to be behind. So it's like you're walking in these footsteps that Jesus is sort of pushing us into, Uh, and we talked about uh, boats, which we're gonna talk about again this morning, uh, and what that means uh, when Jesus invites us out of the boat. And then last week we talked about trust, and last week hit home for me really hard, because we talked about trust just in general, and then we talked about trust when it comes to church, and how those two things together are often very, very difficult to reconcile. Trust and church are a hard thing to deal with, so we talked about fear, And how we're not going to be a church that fears, and we're not going to allow that fear to stop us from loving the other, the person, the least of these, uh, right outside of our doors. So, all of that, I want us to take all of that, and what we're going to talk about this morning, I want us to filter it through all of those things. Through mystery, through discipleship, and through trust. And that leads us to this service thing. So the Gospels, right, are the four books in the Bible that deeply deal with Jesus' story, right? Like they tell the story, some of them from the birth of Jesus to uh, death and resurrection. And all of them have a specific audience that they are written for. So that's why we have four. So you're like, well, why are they telling the same story four times? And the cool thing about that is that they're saying it four times, but for four distinct communities that are going through things. So like the Gospel of Matthew is all about beginning. It's like, what do we do when, we, when we're starting out for like a fresh, new Christian? How do we grasp this Jesus character? Who is he all about? Mark is actually about stepping into suffering. So it's going like, what do we do when we have to deal with change? When Jesus comes into our lives and shakes everything up, how do we deal with that? And Luke, Luke is the most interesting one, and Luke is kind of the one that I want to focus on with us this morning. Luke is like, I've gone through the beginning and I've gone through the hurt. Now, what do I do? When I'm at a stage where, where I've, I've accepted Jesus, I, I know this Jesus guy, I want to follow him. Well, how does that look practically? Luke is all about the journey and what it means to go from place to place. And the really interesting thing about Luke is if you read that gospel, almost everything that Jesus encounters or does or says is on the road to something. So there's very little destination in this book. It's all about the path and the road that leads to what God is trying to do and how we interact with people on that path. We're going to talk about path a lot uh, this morning. Um, Before we do that, let me pray for us as we talk about what it means to serve. God, I'm so grateful to be in this space. I think it's so exciting uh, that we get to come together and and talk about you and learn a little bit more about you and uh, and dive into this story, Lord, your grand story that we're all a part of. So this morning, as we talk about what it means to serve, what it means to be a people of purpose, I just pray that you would move in this space, uh, that we'd be very aware that this is your call on our lives uh, to, to lay down our life and to give it. So uh, I just thank you so much for this space, and I hope we have a blast doing this. Amen. So I actually had a really tough time uh, writing about this this week. Uh, Service is one of those topics that, like, when you preach on it, it it can be very contrite. So there's a lot of stuff out there, but a lot of it is very cliché. And and the last thing that I ever want to do here at Resonate is pull the guilt or, like, get you to try and do something because there's fire and brimstone or anything like that. So I was like, okay, there's the fire and brimstone side of this, then there's kind of the cliché side of this. What am I missing? Like, what is it about service that we really need to say to be a new voice here? And I just struggled with it. I was sitting at my computer, and I would, like, doze off. And, like, there was just like an awful like, like, week of writer's block, because I could not figure out what I was going to write about. And then I realized that right in my living room So the biggest asset for me writing this entire sermon, and it came in the form of a dog named Emmy. So Emmy, if you guys know Steven and Tess, who they mentioned earlier, uh, they're some uh, members of our community, and they're out of town for like three weeks and they have this awesome, but very wiry, very energetic dog named Emmy, and they needed someone to watch the dog uh, for the said three weeks. So actually, it was like we had two weeks, and then another uh, couple has another week after this. And Chelsea and I are not dog people. Like, we've never had a dog. Neither of us grew up in family homes with dogs. We had no idea what we were getting into, but yeah, two weeks, let's do this. <laughs> so they drop off Emmy and we realize super quickly that like life in our one bedroom apartment with this 40 pound animal is going to be very, very, very different. Uh, we slept differently, uh, we ate differently, we came home at different times. There was just a different level of responsibility because there was actually like an animal life that we were like on the hook for, and these are friends of ours, so I really didn't want them to come back and be like, we let your dog die. Uh, so a lot of that was really important for me to show up and do well. Um, but it, we're, about, we're two weeks in exactly today, actually. And so when I was writing this on Thursday, I, I was just like, I got a text from the... Uh, next couple that's gonna come pick Emmy up. And I literally was like, I, part of me was like, okay, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll coordinate, we're gonna drop him off today, and la 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 stop texting, put the phone down. And then just this overwhelming feeling of like, slight sadness and emotion came over me, and I was like, oh, we have to give this dog away. <laughs> and like, that's sad and trite and everything like that, but when you like, bond with an animal, and for me, like, I've never done that, so I was like, oh wait, we have to give this thing back. And more than that, like, I have to give this to another friend who, I don't know, she could die over there. Like, now I feel responsible. Like, I'm not giving this thing up. So uh, what I realized, though, is that, like, we're kind of wired to be, like, complete suckers. Like, (laughs) dogs, dogs have it so good because the human is naturally wired towards taking care of something and loving something. There really is not a huge payoff with a dog. It poops, you have to pick it up. It's not like, that's like serious work. And then what you get in return is like, kind of like, it'll maybe kind of brush up against you and kind of go like that. And you're like, oh, it's all worth it. But but if you look at, if you're to put it on a scale on how much you're putting in and how much that animal is bringing to your life, on paper, it makes no sense. But somehow in our hearts, it makes perfect sense. Some of the parents in this room can resonate with that much, much deeper than even just this two week period I had with this animal we are naturally wired in our hearts and in our souls to take care and serve something else besides ourselves. And honestly, that is really paradoxical when it comes to the American dream, when it comes to our Western society, when it comes to the way we were raised, the way we pursue careers. All of that kind of says, like, you do you. So, like, focus on you, you first, get everything done for you, and don't worry about the other, right? This is your life, so grab it and do it. And the truth is, we actually aren't fulfilled by anything like that. We are truly and honestly fulfilled when we go out and we serve something bigger than ourselves and when we serve someone else besides us. Jesus talks about this a ton, and he knew exactly what he was talking about. The greatest paradox that comes up is in this, uh, it's it's sort of Jesus' like, I mean, it's classic Christ. It's the greatest hits. It's the Sermon on the Mount. So there's this space in all the Gospels where it describes Jesus sort of outlining who he is, what he's all about, uh, his his whole essence, and his whole teaching is outlined in this thing. And there's things, there's phrases in this that are very confusing at first, because he says, like, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are the poor, or blessed are those who weep. All these kind of weird, like, what are you talking about? When you first read it, you think, like, oh, is God calling me to, like, be spiritually poor? Like, is that what I'm supposed to do? Because those, those people are blessed. Uh, or am I being called to actually be poor, which is even scarier to some of us? Uh, and, and it doesn't make a lot of sense when we first read it and first go through. Uh, but that word blessed is actually really interesting. So this is a word. It's a fun Greek word. It's called makarios. Can everyone say that with me? Makarios. Beautiful. We're all Greek scholars now. Uh, and that makarios that comes up in every single Sermon on the Mount, it has two translations, two different meanings. So in English, we have a very specific like language and we have like words for things. But like the Greek, like one word could mean like five different things. And for makarios, that means both blessed and happy. So there's blessed and there's happy. Happy are the poor in spirit happy are the meek, happy are those who weep. And he says that stuff not because, like, Jesus has come, so now those positions are are extremely, like, valuable positions, which they are. The whole point of this is happy are the meek and happy are the spiritually poor because the reality that I am coming to show you and the kingdom that I am coming to proclaim leaves no room for the situation that you're in right now. So you can be happy because I'm actually going to be pulling you out of this. And as I teach this crowd, as I teach these 12 who are close to me, we're going to create something called the church, which is going to enable the world to get rid of this kind of stuff. So happy are you if you're going through this stuff in your life. Happy are you if you're in a real rut because guess what? Good news is coming. It's the good news of the kingdom. And I truly believe as a church, that good news is supposed to be acted and lived Out. This is what happens in church all the time. If you're new to church, and you and you like it, that's the first thing. If you if you're new to church and you actually dig it, uh, you come in and you're like, yes, I'm all fired up. I'm gonna like get on. I'm gonna do some, uh, you know, sit in the sermon. I might get involved with a small group, but I'm just I'm gonna absorb, right? I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna listen because I'm new at this, and I I really want to hear what this guy up front has to say. I want to hear what the people in my small group have to say, and I want to figure out this whole discipleship thing. And so I'm walking through this, and I'm learning about God, and I'm learning about Jesus. And then the problem is, like, most of the time, the church kind of stops there. So come, listen, absorb, consume, right? But we get tired, and we get bored of that very easily. So we'll hear this good news, and we'll be like, man, that good news is so good, and it sounded so good when I first heard it, but I don't understand why I'm not feeling sort of the same way I did when I first started here. What is it that I'm not feeling that, like, like I'm not feeling like I'm filled up all the way like I used to. It begins to take more and more to fill that cup, right? And we're like, what? Like, I I need, like, oceans blasting at, like, 10 on the stereo, and I need to be closing my eyes and clenching and just like, God, come on. And we try and fill ourselves up like that. When, like, the real awesome picture of that is if there's a cup and God is filling it up, the only natural thing that we can do when more and more comes in is the overflow. It's to pour it out. And so as a church, we're actually called to consume, or we're called to listen, and we're called to hear this good news, and we're called to go like, yeah, God, like Jesus, I'm fired up. But what that leads to is service. The natural order of things is to hear the good news and then enact that good news, be that good news in the community. And so as a church, as Resonate, I want us to focus on that Macarios, I want us to focus on that happy and go like, Happy are we because this good news is in the community. Let's go out there uh, and let's let's shift it. So the Sermon on the Mount is another fun, I, I don't know, great like Hebrew and Greek trip this week. Uh, Sermon on the Mount uh, would have been for that ancient crowd. They would have called that Jesus halakha. <laughs> halakha. Halaka is a is a Hebrew word that means teaching, and it was kind of the essence of a rabbi is like teaching. So it would be like if, if you're a rabbi and you have something different to say, that would be your halakha. Some will call it a yoke. So when Jesus says, like, take my yoke, it is easy and the burden is light, that would mean his teaching, his, his essence, that take on my teaching like, and come with me, right? And that's the same thing as halakha. So halakha is the essence of what Jesus has to say. And the other interesting thing about that word is that it actually means path. So, like I said before, it's that path, it's that journey. Uh, and Jesus talks about, not only is his path that way, but in most of the parables and stories and the encounters with God that we see happen on that path. So, it's like we got uh, the Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan is a story of going to the least of these while that Good Samaritan is on the way to something. So he literally changes his trajectory and he goes and he cares for that person. Uh, You have the prodigal son, which is a story of a son who kind of goes like haywire on his dad and goes out and lives a crazy life and then has to come back and be like, Dad, I'll be a servant in your home. And he's like, what are you talking about? You're my son. He gets a huge hug. That story includes the father running down the road, the path, to get to the son. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, encounters Jesus for the first time. It knocks him off of his horse, and he encounters it on the path to Damascus. And finally, Moses, which we talked about during our story thing, and the burning bush, Moses actually encounters the burning bush on the equivalent of his morning commute. So this is not like he journeyed and heard of this far-off land that had this burning bush where God would meet him. He actually just, like, found God in the midst of the ordinary. He found God in the midst of his morning commute. And I think what that's calling us to is to stop worrying about the destination and start worrying about the path that we are truly, truly on. Um, brief story for you. Uh, when I was about 22, uh, my roommate uh, got me a watch. So it was this, uh, this wooden watch, he had this, it was actually the same room that I talked about last week, that was another one of his failed companies. <laughs> so he gave me this watch uh, and he was like, yeah, I got, I got all these free watches. You know, do, you, do you want one? I was like, yeah, man, like, that'd be awesome, thank you so much. And it, it was huge, like, and it's wood, so you can't just like kind of tighten it or whatever. So I actually had to go into a jeweler for the first time in my life to get that all sort of taken care of. And they looked at me and they're like, this is gonna take like an hour. Is there anything else here that you would like to look at? Uh, so I've been dating Chelsea for about two years at this point, and we had been talking about this stuff, and we've been talking about marriage, and she had sort of given me an idea of, like, like as a, a real subtle hint, like, this is the ring I want. Uh, she had given me an idea, and that idea came in the form of a picture with detailed instructions. So I had in my head exactly what I knew uh, I, was, I was supposed to get, right? And it also happened to be the exact same ring my mom has. So for me, I was like, well, that's a cool sign, right? That's really awesome. So flashback to jeweler. I'm in the jeweler's, and they're like, you going to see anything? And I was like, well... I mean, yeah, What is almost on over here. What, what, what do you got in the way of like engagement rings? And, uh, and I was like, and how much do they cost? I've done no research, like nothing. Like how much do they cost? Like what is it, what is it to buy one of these? Like, and, and so they pull it out, and one, the cost was shocking right away, but like they pulled it out, and it was the exact, kid you not, like the exact ring uh, that i had seen a picture of with detailed instruction and that my mom had. The exact ring. It was also Mother's Day, so all of these things are like happening at the same time and something welled up deep inside of me that I've never experienced before. And I just blurted out, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> so, and she was more shocked than I, because she had just pulled it out. She's like, this is the easiest sale I've ever made in my life. So she had pulled it out. And I was like, I'm going to buy it. And she goes, what? And I was like, I think I'm going to buy it, like double check the price. And I was like, yep, still hurts. So I, in that moment, actually purchased that ring. And I thought, like, I'll just sit on this thing for like a year. Like, because that wasn't the plan. Like, the plan was not to get married right now. And we had no plan. And I had no plan for this ring. So I bought this ring at this jeweler. Then I go to get coffee. I order the coffee and I leave the cup at the coffee place. So they're like, here you go, here's your coffee. I pay. And then I was like, thank you. And I just let, like, (laughs) the coffee was still there. And then as I go back outside, it's just, this is all in like, the same thing, back to my car, I realize that I've left my lights on and my battery is dead. So my brain is just not working right at this point. Like, my battery's dead, I'm stranded in a Starbucks parking lot, and I call my dad. And uh, my dad's in Northern California, so I was gonna be like, can you tow me home? <laughs> Come jump me? Um, I call my dad and I just said like, hey, this is crazy. But I did this, and he's on this run, and he stops his run, You can tell he's like stopping his panting. Um, Because dads are the only people that would, like, answer the phone and still keep jogging, like, pull over the side. So he stops his jog, and he just says, whoa, we love Chelsea. That's amazing. Like, you really followed God in that. And I realized, like, right then and there, like, that's when stuff happens, right? I had no plan to go in there and buy that ring. I had no plan to change my life, literally, my life at that point. But in that moment, I felt something so deep and so profound that I just blurted out, I'm going to buy it. (laughs) It came up from within me, from within something deeper. And I've experienced that a couple times in my life. And I can tell you right now, that's that weird Christian-y thing that we don't like to talk about a lot uh, in spaces where we like to get scholastic. But that was like a funky, like, Jesus experience. I was like, whoa, that's weird and real, right? It happened on the path. And when you encounter something on the path, oftentimes what happens is there's a lot of work after that. So it was very easy for me to say, it, but it was much, much harder right after that to really figure out what this is going to mean. i got to move. Right? i got to change my entire life trajectory. I need to get a new job. Right? All of this stuff was kind of coming up, and it didn't occur to me in that moment. But what did occur to me was that God was moving, and I was supposed to follow that in some kind of a way. So we encounter, just like the good Samaritan, they encounter that 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 beat-up half-alive person on the road and they change their entire trajectory. The Samaritan, this other the person that was not supposed to pick him up at all, picks up that person, walks them to a like a kind of a version of a hotel, pays for his stay. And says, if there's anything else that this guy needs, I'm going to be back in a couple days and I'll take care of it. That means any plans he had, we never heard about the Good Samaritan's calendar, right? Any plans he had on the other side of that were interrupted because God was doing something and he realized that he needed to step in and he realized that he needed to serve. And I think that's the most exciting part of this life with Jesus, is that when we encounter something really awesome and, and, and big, maybe it's not awesome, maybe it's terrifying, we have to step in. And we have to listen, and we have to go, and we have to pay attention. Uh, and paying attention is something I'm, I'm going to end on here. Um, this is uh, about being present and about being here right now. Um, we talked about last week, we actually, we've been talking about the disciples a ton, which I think is so great for this lens of people who don't have it all figured out because these disciples just seem to be like these goofy characters in the Bible that like... like Every other sentence, Jesus is like, nope, it's not that, it's this. Like, nope, it's not that, it's this. It reminds me a lot of taking care of Emmy this week. So, disciples are often, especially in the book of Mark, which I told you, remember, that's written for this community that's going through struggle and hardship, and like, how do we deal with hurt and change in our lives? And it's written in in that lens. The book of Mark actually is written by Mark, this author. We don't know if that's his real name, but we'll call him Mark. uh, Right after the fires of Nero. So Nero was this emperor who needs a scapegoat for this huge fire that happens in Rome. Uh, It was actually his fault the fire gets started, but he needs a people to blame it upon. And so he chooses the Jewish people because they're conveniently like geographically located in this one spot that the fire couldn't touch as they were in the wetlands. And so the fire can't touch them, right? So he's like, obviously, if they're the only people untouched, they were the people who started this fire. So we'll just go in and just destroy them, right? Someone's gotta pay for this and it will be them. But an interesting thing happens after that, in which the Jews then divide themselves. And at this point, there really wasn't a huge divide between the Christ-following Messianic Jew and the Jewish people. They all sort of lived together, but one had this lens. They were going like, no, I think the Messiah has really come, and we live in that reality. But there wasn't a cultural separation yet, until this. So... Nero says, we're going to go in, and we're going to just completely eradicate this culture, these people. They're going to pay for what's going on. And the Jewish people go, no, 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 no. It must have been those Messianic Jews, the ones that aren't like us. So they target the Messianic Jews. And even worse, the Messianic Jews start, like, pointing fingers and sharing who they are so that they can get out of it. Because even if they denied it, the Romans would force them to pick someone. So if you said, no, 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 no. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't love this Jesus guy. They'd be like, well, you need to pick out someone who does because someone is going to pay for this. I mean, that's so intense. It turned brother against brother and mother against daughter and just this insane, turbulent time in the very, very beginnings of our faith and our church. And that's the lens these people in Mark are reading with. They're going like, how do we possibly understand how to live in this life with God if we are on constant threat of death and danger and all that kind of stuff? So there's this image in Mark and Mark is really the only place that really harps on it. But there's this image in Mark of, like, the boat. There seems to be a lot of time spent on this boat. So they would have to cross over the Galilean Sea, the Red Sea, all this kind of stuff they would have to cross with boats. And so there's this huge metaphor and this really cool language of, like, getting to the other side. So Jesus would take the disciples. Oftentimes it says that he would actually just, like, force them out there, and often in the middle of the night. So would be like, we're going to leave at midnight, and there's a storm of brewing, get in the boat, we're going. So you have to remember this is all like metaphor and beautiful poetry and really cool. So there are four accounts of this boat in the book of Mark. Everywhere else is like two, but there's four accounts of a boat in Mark, of getting to the other side. And often when they're on the boat, Jesus uses this time to teach them something about each other. So it's often about them, right? First time on the boat, Jesus says, it's midnight, there's a storm of brewing, I want you to get in the boat, we're going to go to the other side metaphorically, right? We're going to the other side. We're going to learn something new about ourselves. Uh, They get in the boat. This huge storm happens. And this is my favorite story in the Bible, because Jesus is just casually sleeping in the bottom of the boat. (laughs) So these disciples are absolutely freaking out, like, my life is about to be lost. What's going to happen? What are we going to do? And uh, Jesus is just kind of like taking a nap in the back of the boat on a sweet cushion. So they start freaking out and thinking they're going to lose their lives. And they come, and they find Jesus, and they wake him up. And he gets up, And he walks to the edge of the boat, and he looks at the water, and he just says, be still. Right? And everything calms down. The water stops, and the disciples are just stunned. Like, who is this guy? But there's really interesting language in that, that be still thing. Like, he could have just said, stop, cut it out. Like, best of all, he just could have gotten up there and, like, winked, and then just everything would have gone down. There's no reason for him to use particular language, but there's every reason for him to use particular language. What he says, be still. To us, we don't don't study the Torah like from our birth every single day until our 30s like these guys did. But to them, that would have meant something very, very specific in their culture. Be still. See, when God initially takes the uh, Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of oppression, they reach this point where they're at the Red Sea and they are all freaking out. Kind of similar, right, about them? They're freaking out because the Egyptian army is coming for them. And Moses literally looks at them all, and he says this. We have that verse. I don't have time to look it up on my iPad, but I think it's up here. Um, uh, No, it should be the one before that, Sean. It's not in there. Yep, there we go. This is Moses to them. He said, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Pay attention to this part. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So when he says be still, like through the disciples, they're going like, oh shoot, that wasn't for the water. That was for us. He's like, guys, why? Every single little problem that you have, you have to come and wake me up. You have the 12 of you here. Figure this out. You know, you know through history that I will not let you down, that I'm always going to deliver you. You're always going to get to the other side. You don't need to worry like this. You need to lean on each other. There are 12 of you in this boat. And when I'm gone, you're going to have to lean on each other, right? So this is the first boat thing. What's the last boat story? The last boat story uh, comes here, so we'll read this together. Uh, Next slide. Beautiful. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. I love that. Just get in the boat, guys, and go ahead of him into Bethsaida, or whatever that is. Well, he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountain to pray. So the, the disciples are in a boat, alone. Jesus is on this mountain, praying. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples uh, straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So there's another storm, and they're straining at the oars. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they saw him and they were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed. So from the first boat we have terrified and afraid and Jesus is in the boat with them. Now we have a storm, and they're grabbing the oars, and they're trying their best, and Jesus is walking towards them. There is amazing, beautiful symbolism here for the church. What it means to be a community of Christ followers is that we have to recognize that we are on that boat, right? We are on this boat together, and there are going to be times where we're each going to have to pick up the oar and start rowing. And the incredible thing about this story is that they were rowing, and they were so shocked when Jesus shows up. <laughs> they're like, "What?" and terrified when he's walking on water. So, yeah, that's that's. But he's, they're surprised by the fact that he shows up. And I think so often in church and who we are as American Christians, we grind and we work and we serve, but we don't really expect God to walk onto the boat. What Jesus is saying here is, I'm always going to be with you. I'm always going to get you to the other side. And I knew that you could do that together. I knew that you could strain against the wind in the night. That verse describes him being on the land all the way through the night, almost to the dawn. So they went all the way through that darkness, right? That darkness and that storm, the water, the uneasiness, trying to get to the other side. And Jesus comes alongside them. And everything dies down. That's a beautiful picture for us as we serve. And as we serve the church. So... All of that to say, I'm just so glad that we get to do this together. Uh, I'm so proud of this little church. If you guys were here the first of the year, uh, our first service of the year, I think it was January seventh, uh, I asked everyone to fill out a uh, community card, which you have uh, near you, and I asked you just to kind of like think about like what um, what do I want for this community this year? Like, what are my hopes and my dreams? Sort of like my resonate resolutions. Like, what do I want for this church? And this is the coolest part, guys. This is the part that if I went back to my church planning coach, he would like maybe do a backflip. All of you, 90% of you wrote down, I want to be involved in service projects and I want to join a small group. Like you're all straight A students. <laughs> They're like, I want to get involved and serve and I want to get in community. So that means that the heart of our community when I asked you, because we're all rowing this together, I'm just the loudest one. We're all rowing together when I ask you what we want to accomplish together You answered service and community. And so that's what we're about. Because that's where our heart is, and we're all in it together. So I'm so glad that we get to do that together, and we get to have these little things. So I hope in the next coming uh, months that we can get outside these doors, but we have to learn how to row this boat together first. There are 640,000 children in this city who struggle with poverty. There are 92,400 people in this city of Santa Monica. Those odds are crazy. So when we do get the oars and we're good at this and we can get this boat going, we're going there. And we're going to make a difference in this city and this community, but we have to learn what we're passionate about, what we love, and who we are uh, first. And I'm so excited for this phase of our lives. So let me pray for us, and then uh, we're going to take communion this morning. And also, if you are interested in serving in any capacity, whether you heard some up here or you're just like, put me wherever, or you're interested in starting something, please write that down. Uh, put it in there. Again, there's tons and tons of ways to get in touch with us to do that, Uh, but this is a really key thing because you can do it under the umbrella of communion. So you can come up here, experience communion, and also do that as an act of worships. So uh, there is challah. You can just tear off a huge, massive chunk of that, dip it into the wine or the Welch's grape juice, as it were, and uh, experience communion together, and you can do that row by row. But let me pray for us before we get going. Lord, I'm just so grateful uh, for this morning. Is that the electric piano? Because that's awesome. (laughs) Uh, I'm so grateful for this morning. I'm so grateful for the ability to serve, uh, for the ability to uh, walk into life with you and recognizing that we're all on this boat together. Amen. Uh, We're going to sing for the first row.